Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. There he is right here. Come on, right here, Pastor Ron. But it's incredible to see this series. Oh, no. Here we go. Here we go. It's incredible. Okay, I got to put my hands back here. It's incredible to see just how uh, week two has brought so many people some peace in the midst of suffering. And so if you haven't listened to part two, make sure you check part two out before we continue on. But hey, let's just give it up for Pastor Ron right now. so stupid. Oh, my. Um, thank you for forgiveness. And uh, I, uh, I sure love you, church. And I hope um, and pray that over the last few weeks, you've just uh, felt uh, the Lord's presence and heart for you. Uh, if you haven't been with us or you've missed a couple, the messages that Pastor John has delivered in the last few weeks have been uh, super impactful on me, and he's my pastor too, and just one of the best communicators I've ever heard. And so if you've missed any, I encourage you to go back and, and listen, because we're talking in this series called I Am Strong about uh, pain and suffering, and we're trying to reconcile an awful lot of uh, what is going on in our hearts and our lives in this world, reconcile uh, the pain and suffering that we see and experience with uh, a good God and a God who's promised to deliver, and how do we reconcile all of the hurt and the pain and suffering that you and I experience those of you in Avon experience and those of you in the online church family experience uh, with who God is, you know? How do these things work out? As I was thinking about it, I, I had the phrase pop into my mind that there seems to be this kind of gravitational pull of suffering. And that made me do a little bit of reading about gravity itself and Gravity is something that we all live with, but uh, scientifically, gravity is just that force that attracts planets and attracts elements to each other. Gravity always pulls, it never repels. But what I also learned about gravity is that the larger the mass of an object, the more subject that is to the pull of gravity. So. The more mass a planet has, the more mass that I have, the more gravitational pull or weight that I feel. And so for some of you that have a particularly heavy season of suffering, there's an awful lot of mass to your suffering right now. The weight that you're feeling is proportionately heavier or you can look back on a season where you were really going through it. It was a long season, it was a heavy season, and you would maybe even describe it that way, this particular weight that you carry. We're gonna take a look at a family today in the Gospel of John. And I encourage you to open your Bible to John and go to chapter 11, but before we get there, the family is, it's, it's a it's a series of siblings. There's two sisters and a brother. The sisters are named Mary and Martha, and the brother's named Lazarus. And these siblings are experiencing kind of a heaviness, a weight, the gravitational pull of challenges and suffering in their own life. You might be familiar with Mary and Martha if you've read through some of the gospels before, but these two sisters, uh, had a relationship with Jesus. In fact, they had invited Jesus into their home 
we find that they had a love for Jesus. Jesus had a love for these three siblings. But there's a moment where the sisters are entertaining Jesus, and we find a lot about the, the personality of each of these two sisters. And Martha is pretty task-oriented. She seems pretty sharp. But she's rushing around, taking care of all the hospitality needs while they're entertaining Jesus, where Mary, on the other hand, seems to be a little more heart-oriented, a little more people-oriented than task-oriented. She's at the feet of Jesus, just soaking up that time. And there's actually some tension between the two sisters based on how they're handling that particular situation. So there's already some weight some challenges just based on siblings interacting and apparently even living together. Those of you that have siblings, I'm sorry, I'm an only child. I don't know how bad that is. But apparently, oftentimes, there's some weight that just comes in the day-to-day with family tensions and relational tensions and whatnot. But in this particular moment in the Gospels that we're going to look at today, the weight that they're feeling is even heavier because their brother, Lazarus, that Jesus also knew, Jesus also loved, and Lazarus knew Jesus and loved him, Lazarus is sick. And not just sick, but it doesn't look good. It looks like Lazarus is dying. And that's the weight, the normal day-to-day, the relational stuff, normal family stuff, and now on top of it, the dying of a loved one, their brother. And so here's what happens. John chapter 11, verse one. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. You might remember that story. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, just out of relationship, the sisters have a relationship with Jesus. And like you and I would with people we have relationship with. When you're going through something challenging, it's appropriate It's common for you and I just to reach out, right? You go, okay, I've got a relationship with you, and hey, Jesus, I just wanted to put on your radar that your friend Lazarus, that you happen to love, he is sick. At least in what John records for us here, there's not much evidence that they even ask specifically that Jesus come and heal But just out of relationship, it's something that we do when we're suffering and we're hurting. We reach out to those that we care about and the ones that we know care about us and say, hey, I could use some comfort. I wanted you to know what we're going through, just wanted to put it on your radar. That's an expectation that's appropriate for us to have with the friends and family in our life to be able to reach out when we're going through suffering. But the expectations might be a little different, right, when one of your friends is the son of God. And now these sisters, they're reaching out to Jesus, and yes, they probably wanted some comfort, they probably just wanted to deliver the news, but I'm sure that in the back of their minds, they're hoping that Jesus will come knowing who he is and not just bring some comfort, but also bring some healing. I would have some of those expectations. And I would assume Lazarus probably had some of those expectations. As he's laying there sick and dying, I think he's probably hoping and praying. I hope the sisters get the word out. If they can get the word of Jesus, then maybe he will come and heal me and fix me. So I won't die. That would be normal expectations. I've got those expectations of God. Do you? You know, just based on the character and nature of God that we hear about, that we read about, that we have experienced, we've got these expectations based on his nature, based on these promises that he's made to us in his word. 
based on the fact that he loves us. I've got expectations then that in that relationship with him, when I have a need, he's gonna come through. He's gonna show up. He's gonna bring healing and comfort. Those are pretty normal expectations. Mary and Martha had some of those, I'm sure. Look at verse four. When Jesus heard this, the messenger gets to Jesus, just FYI, Jesus and his disciples are about a two days journey away from where the sisters and Lazarus are. They're across the Jordan River, and so a messenger has come, relayed the word, but they've got a journey to get to Lazarus. So when Jesus heard this message, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Look, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Okay, hello, is that weird or confusing to anybody? Jesus loved the siblings, and he loved Lazarus, who is sick and dying. He had heard the message. He had the ability to do something about it. In that love relationship, with the ability to do something about it, Jesus waited. Huh? What in the world is going on here? Do you ever wonder what God is doing? I mean, just in all complete honesty, have you ever wondered, God, why are you waiting to do something in this particular situation that you are aware I'm in? Have you ever wondered, God, why the suffering and you're waiting? Have you ever wondered, God, why the apparent silence? Have you ever wondered why the, uh, the, the apparent absence of God showing up? Have you ever wondered, God, why are you even allowing this to happen to me? Why are you allowing this to happen to my family? Isn't enough's enough? Have you ever wondered that? God, what are you up to? Yeah, we know someday in eternity he's going to heal us in full. But in the meantime, really? We're just going to wait this thing out and continue to go through the hurt and go through the pain and go through the suffering? Really? I, I, I don't know what God's up to sometimes. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time and I don't have everything figured out. I'm a pastor, which means I'm a professional Christian. <laughs> and I don't know what's going on with God a whole bunch of the time. I don't understand everything that is written in his word. We're all kind of fumbling along in this journey. My son Brody, is, he's 15. When he was about three and a half years old, we were at a frozen yogurt place. And uh, we had finished up, and Brody was out front of the frozen yogurt place where there was a metal park bench. It was made of steel, and there were slats that you sit on. And three and a half years old, he did what most three and a half year olds would do. He got up on the metal park bench, and he was running back and forth across the part that you sit on between the metal armrests. And before I could get out to him, Brody's foot got stuck in between one of the slats and it forced him to fall face first into the metal armrest. He face planted into this thing. And by the time I got there to rescue him, pick him up, blood's already coming out of his mouth. He had face planted and hit his 
tooth right on that metal armrest. And it had pushed his tooth straight back. Now, it was one of his baby teeth, but he was still like four or five years away from losing the two front teeth. It hadn't fallen out, though. It had just gone straight back in. Well, we took him over to the dentist. We got him calmed down. We get him into the dentist. They're trying to figure out what to do. They had concern that it had been pushed back or pushed up and done damage to the adult tooth that was still up there in the gums. And so they informed us, we're going to have to go in and extract that tooth and not just let it hang there. Now Brody tried to power through, and he, he had a tough look on his face, but the dentist numbed him up, and you know, they bring that needle out and give him shots. He's just three and a half years old, and he's freaking out. I'm standing right there watching all of this. And then they get the pliers out, and it's just not coming out. And so Brody is numbed up, but the horror of the shots in the mouth, and now he's got this guy yanking on this tooth. It was the absolute worst. And then it got even more worse when Brody, with me standing right there, yells out, Daddy, why are you letting them do this to me? There's nothing worse that a parent can hear. See, I was there with him. I I cared for him. I loved him. Yet I was also allowing this to happen. Why? Well, because there was something a whole lot bigger going on that he just had no way of understanding. And he wouldn't understand for quite a while why I allowed that to happen. But I was still a good dad. I was still loving him. He just didn't understand the bigger picture. Well, Brody had that tooth pulled out. And then for literally like the next five years, he looked like some old gold prospector or something because he only had one tooth up front. But he made it through. But at the time, he just couldn't understand. God, what are you doing? I wonder if God feels the same way about us. I wonder if he feels the same way about me when I have exclaimed this, that, or the other thing, when I'm in the midst of suffering and pain. What, what have you learned Like when you're going through suffering? Here's stuff I'm learning. I'm learning currently. I have learned in the past when I'm suffering. I have learned suffering is real. How about you? I, I've learned that it's actually hurtful. It can be physically hurtful. It can be hurtful to your heart and your soul, to your spirit. I've learned that suffering is mentally draining. I learned that suffering is just overall just really, really exhausting, isn't it? But I've also learned that there's also something happening in me throughout suffering. It's what Pastor John opened the series with, quoting from Corinthians, that there's this reality that God's power is actually perfected in our weakness. When we are weak, then he is strong. That, that, that in the suffering that we face, I am, you are really forced to learn how to rely on his grace alone. My tendency is to lean into, rely upon any number of other things for my strength than the grace of Almighty God. But when I'm weak, when I'm suffering, when I'm hurting, and it's been a particularly long and heavy season of it, and I can't lean on anything else because I've leaned and they've collapsed, I realize the grace of God is still there, and I've realized at the core, that's what I need to be relying on day to day anyway. There's something bigger going on in our suffering. Do you know that? 
There's something a whole lot bigger going on when you and I are facing trials and hardships and temptations and suffering and pain. Jesus alludes to it in this passage at least two times, I think really three. In John chapter 11, verse four, and then verse 15, He's already said it. He just said it if you caught it. Something bigger than the suffering of these sisters. Something bigger than the suffering of a dying guy named Lazarus. In verse four, he said, no, it's for God's glory that this is going on so that God's son may be glorified through it. A little bit later, spoiler alert, they're gonna show up and Lazarus is dead. In verse 15, Jesus said, for your sake, disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you might believe in Jesus. And so there's something bigger going on. At least two bigger things are going on here. I believe these two bigger things are always going on in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, and that is the opportunity for the glory of God to show up, and two, for people to believe in God once they've experienced his glory. That is the something bigger that's always going on even when we're suffering. When you and I are suffering, when we're weak and then the goodness of God shows up, the glory of God shows up in a way that's abnormal, amongst people who are suffering, then people respond to that glory, that goodness, and then they believe, they trust that God is good and that the suffering that they're experiencing isn't all that there is. But there is something always bigger going on. I think there's kind of a healthy movement that you and I can experience When we're going through suffering, here's the movement that I'm praying for for you in your journey, whether it's right now or in the future. I've been asking God specifically to move my heart and my understanding of him in these ways. That when you experience pain, hardship, hurt, suffering, you start with, hey, something's happening to me. Then you move to a place where you're saying, something's happening now in me, and then eventually move to a place saying, something is happening here that is bigger than me. And that progression, I think, is really, it's really key. It's really powerful. I think it's something that the Lord would invite you into as you suffer. It always starts with, hey, the enemy is doing something to me. Other people are doing something to me. These bad circumstances are happening to me. That's usually the start of suffering. And if that's the end of your suffering, then you're kind of stuck there. You will just be a victim of your pain and the brokenness of this messed up world. But what God invites us into is this next step that says, I know something's happening to me. It might even be from the enemy is doing something to me, but even in the midst of that, God, would you allow something to happen in me? Something good, something healing, something comforting, something strengthening in me that I couldn't have experienced in any other way. And that would be good enough for most of us But I think most of us do get stuck. Oh, okay, something's happening to me. Oh, but the good news is God's gonna do something in me. But can I just propose that there is another step here? There's always something bigger going on than your sufferings. There's always something bigger going on than you and your world and your pains and your hardships and your struggles. There is a bigger story than your story and bigger than your story. My story is the kingdom of God. And that is really key because I think if we can take the step to 
something's happening bigger than me, then the next step is where you find the joy and you find the peace. Because suddenly now, even in your suffering and pain, life's not just about you. But you're reminded there's the glory of God there and there's people who have yet to see it or experience it. Maybe it's because his people don't allow the glory to show up in the midst of the suffering. We suffer sometimes just as miserably as people who don't know Jesus, forgetting that we're a part of a much bigger kingdom. We're a part of a much bigger story. Pastor John talked about that already not yet sort of season in history that we're in. You remember that? God's already revealed some stuff. He's already sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross and conquer sin and death as he rose from the dead three days later. He's already promised some things about the future. And yet, a lot of those things have not yet happened. You and I live in a moment in history, the already stuff that God's done and the things that he has not yet done. He has not yet come back for us. But I think we're blessed to live in this particular moment in history because we have centuries worth of stories of the glory of God and the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God to his word, to his promises, through countless numbers, millions of believers can verify the trustworthiness of the one that you and I follow. If we'd lived a long time ago, we'd have less people to look back on. And yet, I get it, in the meantime, the gravitational pull of suffering is usually inward and downward, isn't it? The weight of our suffering, it pulls all of life's focus and energies inward on me and my problems and my circumstances. And because there's a weight to it, it doesn't just pull thoughts inward, it pulls us downward. And please, church, I'm not minimizing your pain or your hurt here. I'm not minimizing the real, legitimate suffering that you're facing. But I'm just saying that there is still hope to be found, that there is a better place for us to fix our attention, fix our eyes, put our energy into than just us and our suffering. Because in this world, we are going to have trouble. But take heart, Jesus says, he has overcome the world. Martha was one of those that needed to have a little bit of her perspective on what was going on changed. Jesus waits two days, even though he hears his friend is dying. His friend is now passed. He turns to his disciples and he says, all right, it's time to go. They don't get why, they don't understand it, but they make the journey anyway because they love Jesus. And when they show up, the sisters are gonna go out to meet Jesus, but independent of each other. Martha goes out first, if you skip down to verse 21. Look at what happens. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at that last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord. She told him, 
I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. I love this moment between Martha and Jesus because how she interacted when Jesus was in the home at the previous situation, she seemed to kind of miss the point. But here, I think Martha's got it. Here, the confession of Martha about who Jesus is is spot on. And honestly, I wanna be like Martha because what Martha's doing in this particular moment is helpful for all of us. What she's displaying and modeling for me and you is this. One, you can be legitimately sorrowful and confident in Jesus at the same time. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Have you ever been really, really sad and still had some confidence that God's on the throne, that God knows what's going on. He hasn't come through the way that you thought he was gonna come through. He hasn't come through uh, yet. He didn't come through yesterday. He hasn't come through today, even though it's like 9, 10 a.m. We don't know if he's coming through for us tomorrow, but I still love Jesus. I'm still on board with Jesus. That's where Martha's at. She's grieving, and yet she has a deep belief in who Jesus is, confidence in him. You can have that, the both and. But I also love about Martha is she had some real cool theological understanding about Jesus. Jesus says, your brother's gonna rise, and she says, I know all about the resurrection. I know about the last day. You come back and the dead in Christ will be raised up. I, I know about the resurrection. But for her theological understanding, she still had room to grow. Hello, anybody with me on that one? Some of you are real theologians in here, better than I am, and you're smart and you're sharp. But I love those people because those are the people that also say, I still don't have it all figured out. I'm not gonna have it all figured out until I get to heaven and see him face to face and my understanding is exploded at that point. Martha knew quite a bit, but she still had room to grow in her understanding about how God operates and who Jesus was and what he was capable of doing. She had the understanding in part, but not in full. And I love that because what she needed understanding about was the resurrection. See, the resurrection isn't so much about a date as it is about a person. That's what Jesus trying to clue her in on Yes, there was a resurrection when Jesus raised from the dead, conquering sin and conquering death, Easter Sunday. That's a day and date. There's a day and date when we don't know when it is, when he's gonna come back and we will be resurrected up to life. That's a day and date. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, resurrection is me. I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection is about halting death, a reversal of death, and then bringing life. And when you step into relationship with Jesus, he halts the effects of your old way of life that are leading to death, and then he brings you abundant life, life to the full. And that doesn't come just through a date, that comes through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. What a gift and what a huge blessing. Martha needed that expanded understanding of what the resurrection was all about. And how did Jesus bring Martha greater understanding? Through her suffering. It came through her suffering. Lazarus needed greater understanding. I'm sure he was laying in the bed wondering, where's Jesus? When's he gonna come? Lazarus dies and then he's gonna be resurrected to life? How do you think Lazarus's understanding was after he'd been brought back to life? Only to remember that he's gonna have to die again someday. That's a drag. But he, he had his understanding expanded 
And how did that come? He had to die to get that level of understanding and then come back to life. The crowd, there were tons of friends that had come to console Mary and Martha. Their understanding needed to change, and it would by what they were going to get to witness in the resurrection of someone from the dead. Mary, she needed her understanding to expand and grow. We, we, we join her here down at verse 33, and now it's her turn to go out and meet Jesus. And she says basically the same thing. If you'd been here, he, he wouldn't have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, Mary, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, look, he was deeply moved and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then here it is. Jesus wept. Why? Why did Jesus start crying? I think if we understand why Jesus cried, we get to the heart of Jesus. And when you and I get to the heart of Jesus, that's where we get the real lessons. And I do not believe this passage is primarily about the suffering of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I don't think that's the main point of why John has recorded this in here. I think why Jesus weeping here is the main point. I think why Jesus weeping here is the bigger picture that you and I need to be clued into. Some speculate that Jesus wept because he was unable to raise someone that he loved from the dead. But then if we keep reading the story, we're gonna find that he's gonna raise him from the dead so we know that's not why he's crying. He knew what he could do. Others speculate it was just out of love. Someone that he loved passed away. And out of the emotion of that, he was just sad. But that's not it. If you unpack this language here that John uses, that Jesus, when he saw Mary weeping, and he saw the crowd weeping, and he knew the one he loved is dead in the tomb, he was deeply moved and troubled in spirit. And if you get to the root down there, original language, what Jesus experienced here is something more like deep indignation, almost anger. He was incredibly upset, which led him to cry. Also mixed with deep compassion. Now that's a little bit different. Well, why was he so upset? What was he angry over, indignant over in this I think there's at least two things. One, Jesus looks on the weeping people and the death of a loved one, and what was so upsetting to him was the effect of sin and death on his creation. And two, I think he got upset over the failure of people to really understand and grasp who he was and what he was capable of doing. I believe wholeheartedly, you guys, that even today, God's heart is deeply moved by the brokenness in our world. He's weeping with you when you suffer. He's weeping with you at the effects of death and suffering and pain and other people hurting you and a world filled with all this brokenness. He's weeping along with you still, I believe wholeheartedly sympathizing and empathizing with you. I also believe the heart of God is broken over a whole bunch of people in our world that just don't understand who Jesus really is or what he's capable of. And I think that causes him tremendous sorrow. Can you imagine 
Jesus to, to the one who is life and to the one who came to bring life, death must have been a stark reminder of the battle of the kingdoms going on, right? Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, to have seen death, it would have been that reminder. Yes, his kingdom is mighty and more powerful, but in this already not yet, we're in a season where there is another kingdom who is warring for the souls of people. And I think that's deeply upsetting to Jesus. Well, if it's so upsetting, then why wait? If he's moved by your brokenness and my brokenness, if he's upset by the global brokenness, and not just that, you guys, but like the historic level of brokenness for thousands of years now, why wait? If you love us, you know what's going on, why aren't you coming to bring healing and wrap up, game over? Let's call this thing quits. Anybody ready for that right now? I, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Why isn't he? Why does he wait? Because there's something bigger than your brokenness and my brokenness in this broken world going on. And I'd propose that Peter gives us the answer to what that is. Second Peter chapter three, verses eight and nine say this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, specifically the promise to come back for us. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What if he's waiting? What if he's not wrapping it up just because he's being patient with me and you. And he's being patient for some people that you really care about, that haven't seen his glory, that don't believe who he is. What if he's just being patient? Well, if that's the case, I'll suffer. I'll go through some rough stuff in this broken world wrecked by sin if it means it's affording other people a literal eternity in the glory of God without any pain, sickness, or suffering. I'll wait that out. So here's, here's the question. What if enduring your sufferings was in a roundabout way allowing God's kingdom to include more people? So in other words, the, the drag is we're gonna continue to suffer and live in this broken world and go through some stuff. The trade-off is it's allowing the patience of God and the grace of God to reach more and more people in the meantime. I'll keep suffering if it means God's kingdom grows. There's something bigger going on than just your stuff and my stuff. There's a whole world of people who have stuff who don't know Jesus. And Jesus loves them just as much as he loves you. And he wants them to be a part of his kingdom. Now this passage is just, it's too long, sorry. But the ending is too good. Let me read it, verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. 
Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? There it is again. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. There it is again. There's the bigger picture of what's going on than just the suffering of a Lazarus or a Mary and a Martha. Jesus is now praying to the Father, and John at least doesn't record, he doesn't record that Jesus prayed out loud, Father, raise Lazarus from the dead. Why doesn't he pray that? Because he already has when nobody else was around. Because he already had been praying for that, maybe just not audibly. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Woohoo! See, how Jesus acts here is similar for one individual to how he's going to behave and act for all people someday. How he acts here in resurrecting Lazarus from the dead is how he's going to act someday for all those who put their faith and trust in him. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then maybe he uses a moment like this, or he will at some point, I'm praying in the future for you to see the glory and the goodness of God bigger than your sufferings. And he's operating in a way that he's been praying for you when you didn't even know about it. He's been pursuing you when you didn't even realize it. He's been caring for you when you had no care or thought of him. He's been pursuing you long, long before you knew it. And what he's been praying for is that you would experience life and life to the full. He's been praying for is you'd be rescued from death and eternity separate from him. And he's made everything possible to halt death and bring you real life, life to the full. And then he's gonna give you a call out, a wake up. He's gonna say, wake up. Come on out of death. Come on out of the old way of living and step into a life where you are holding my hand every single step of the way. Step into a life where I'm driving and you're riding shotgun. And by the way, you should probably take off the old habits and the old clothes because that's not you anymore. I've given you a whole new identity. I've given you a whole new purpose. I've given you a whole new context for your story and your suffering. Something bigger is going on and the bigger than your suffering and my suffering is God's building a kingdom. And he's using time to allow people to see his glory and then come to believe. That's the bigger thing. That's the bigger thing. I'll keep suffering if it means his kingdom is growing. And then I'll celebrate along with the rest of you when the suffering's over. And I'll just pray that, <laughs> I'll pray that every single person God had in mind for you and I to reach with his glory and his goodness, he would have reached. And so, Father, we just pray right now. We stop and pray. We just give you a moment of silence here in Avon, online, wherever we are. And right now, we lift up and pray for the suffering of someone else. I invite you to do that right now in just a few seconds. Just pray for not your own suffering, not your own pain or hardships, but think about the challenges and trials that you know someone else is going through and pray for them. Pray for their healing, pray for their comfort, pray for their deliverance. But more than that, pray that God's glory 
would be revealed to them in such a powerful way that they would believe in who Jesus is. And then would you pray, please, that God would grow his kingdom however he sees fit to include more people. That his patience, his grace would show up in unexpected moments even like suffering. So Lord, we we ask as the healer that you would heal, as the deliverer that you would deliver. But we also ask God that while we wait, you would give us strength. While we wait, you'd grow our understanding. While we wait, you would grow your kingdom to include people that you desperately love. Use us to that end however you see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.